Well, hey, everybody. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church Gateway, and I want to welcome you once again to this online experience. If you're a regular with us, uh, thanks for being part of this. If you're a guest, if someone invited you, uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Before we continue on in this online experience, I want to tell you about a couple things that are coming up in this next week. Next weekend is Holy Weekend or Holy Week. And so uh, Friday, April 10th, is going to be our Good Friday online service. We're going to premiere that at 5 p.m. So at 5 p.m. on Good Friday, we're going to release some content and would love for you to be able to gather around with your family, uh, with those that you are staying at home with, and to be able to um, have a time to really reflect on the beauty and the wonder and the sorrow of the cross of Jesus Christ. So that'll be Good Friday, April 10th. On Easter Sunday, April 12th, we're going to premiere our online experience that day at 10 a.m., just like we have been in these weeks. And I want to tell you about something that we're going to do leading up to this. This is a weird Easter, isn't it? I, I, I was just even talking with Molly the other day going, so are we going to like dress up and like put the girls in dresses and sort of sit on the couch and do Easter? Like this feels super, super weird. And when you think about that, it's just a huge bummer. But I want to tell you something that I think is actually going to maybe make this the best Easter we've ever had. This is an opportunity this Easter to share the gospel with more people than we ever have. Here's what we're doing across all nine redemption congregations. We're uniting in this initiative that we're calling Jesus Changed my life. Jesus changed my life. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to record a 60-second video testimony, to a 60-second story of how Jesus changed your life. There's instructions about all of this at redemptionaz.com slash Jesus changed my life. You can get directions on how to do that and how to do it well, but we want you to, to record a 60-second story of how Jesus changed your life, and next week, we want you to post it on any of the social media platforms you have. If you're not a social media person, that's fine. We want you to email it to friends, but we want you to get this word out of how Jesus changed your life. In there, we want you to also include a link to our online Easter experience, and uh, when you do that, we think that between people hearing your story and people hearing the message of hope that we have in Christ that we celebrate on Easter, we think maybe tens of thousands of people might hear the gospel this Easter. Jesus changes lives. And if he's changed yours, we want you to be on the front lines of sharing that good news this Easter. As we look ahead into the rest of this experience, uh, Seth Trout and I are going to open God's word in a little bit. But before that, we want to take some time. We want to pray for some people whose lives have been majorly disrupted, uh, those in the education world. So uh, Josh Watt is interviewing and praying for some of our teachers and administrators. And let's take a look at that. Well, welcome, Redemption Gateway. Josh here, one of your pastors with a few Redemption Gateway members here. They're actually teachers, educators, or administrators here in the Southeast Valley. And we want to spend time in our service today and just pray for them. So I want to introduce you to them. First, we're going to start with Kristen. Just give us your name, your school, your mascot, and what role you play in your school. So I'm Kristen Schell, and I teach at Higley High School. We are the Higley Knights. Um, I am the World Language Department Chair. I teach second and third level Spanish, and I'm also the sponsor for International Club. Very nice. Autumn? I'm uh, Autumn Fry. I am an elementary school teacher at Meridian Elementary School, part of Gilbert Public Schools. We are the Mustangs. I teach fourth grade um, general education and also have a couple uh, members of our SPICE group, which is our students on the autism spectrum. 
And this year I also have the uh, gifted cluster in my classroom. So you got a few things going on. Yes. <laughs> and Brett Nada, what about you, sir? All right, well, I'm Brett Nada. I'm the assistant principal at Enterprise Schools or the Eagles. Uh, it's a public charter school. Uh, done that for five years. Uh, wear a variety of hats there, but um, yeah, so administrative stuff and all that good stuff. So. Very nice. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, this is a simple video. We just want to hear how we can be praying for you all. And I want to go in the same order, but Kristen, starting with you in this season where, as I think about people in our church who are affected most, teachers are at the top of that list. Teachers who are also parents, which is all three of you, is at the top, top of that list. How can we be praying for you, Kristen, during this season? Um, first of all, I think I've just been giving a lot of praise and thanks that I am still able to be working. And I know that um, a lot of people are out of work at this time. So I've been very thankful for that and that um, we have the resources and technology available to still be educating our students and um, to be connected with them. Um, at the same time, the technology and resources bring a lot of uh, frustration and sometimes some feelings of um, being overwhelmed. So I'd ask for prayer in um, feeling peace and having patience in working through all of that. Um, also, I would ask for focus and um, good time management. As you said, um, being a parent at the same time with having our own children at home and managing their online schooling um, along with spouses in the house and projects and just running a household, um, sometimes hard to focus on um, actually also being at work. So just managing that through the day and um, finding focus and endurance. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Kristen. I want to go to Autumn now. What can we be praying for you, Autumn? Um, it's been a really challenging week for me this week, uh, emotionally. Uh, you know, getting the news that we would be shut down for the remainder of the year hit me uh, a lot harder than I was expecting it to. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely been an emotional challenge. I'm a teacher that kind of um, works really hard to, to uh, build a community in my classroom. And... Um, you know, I have a, a very special group this year. Um, I just have really, really bonded with them. And it was, it's kind of the group I've been waiting years to get. And uh, so it's been really hard realizing that I'm not going to be back in the classroom with them. And, and while I know that that is a small, um, a small gripe compared to what people are going through out there, it's been something that has hit me really um, pretty profoundly this week. And uh, we did start up our, our distance learning uh, this week, so I've been able to connect with my students over, uh, you know, over technology and things like that, and uh, that has been helpful for sure, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's hard when you have worked, when you've worked hard for something all year, and then that has been kind of taken um, and, and changed, and, and um, having to kind of adjust on the fly has definitely been definitely been a challenge. And um, so I, I've had a couple parents who have said, can you just call and talk to my, to my students? And just, can you just, just kind of connect with them that way? And so like Kristen was saying, I'm super grateful for the technology to be able to do that. It's just, um, I think almost a little bit of a grieving process to realize that it's just going to be different, you know, for the remainder of the school year and um, just kind of coming to terms with that. And and the fact that it's um, all just kind of happened so suddenly and it happened while we were on spring break. So we didn't really get to have some of that closure, you know, that that would have been nice to have with our students. So especially teaching the little ones, you know, my kids are nine turning 10 and, you know, this is, this is hard for them to understand. And it's hard for me to understand as an adult. And, 
Um, and then also, like Kristen said, um, managing this as a, as a single mom at home with four kids too, um, you know, getting them uh, through their studies. And, um, you know, so again, I kind of echo the time management and, the, and just the, the focus and all of that as well. So um, I guess just kind of uh, prayers for, um, you know, just how I am going to handle this kind of emotionally is, gonna, is kind of my big one right now. Um, and that would be something that I would love prayers for. Well, thank you, Autumn. I know how hard you work just to even be a teacher, so this breaks my heart that this is what you're going through. This is just sad on so many levels, but uh, thanks for sharing that. Brett, you want to tell us how we can be praying for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, so in general, just kind of pray for encouragement for the our communities, because this is definitely unprecedented. So everybody kind of has a different opinion of how much work for kids. And um, so we're hearing a lot of that kind of on the administrative level of this is too much, this is not enough. So I would just ask for prayer for encouragement for um, everybody involved, our kiddos who some, you know, some of our kids school is their favorite place. Like that's a happy place for them and they're not able to do that right now. So I pray that they would be encouraged with um, people surrounding them um, with love. So as a people, I think, um, that's kind of the key phrase for me is encouragement, um, during this time. Um, for me personally, I would say I resonated a lot with Luke's uh, message last week. Um, especially talking, I kind of feel like I'm on a sabbatical right now cause I'm usually seven to five, go, go, go putting out fires and a lot of different things going on. So it was a good opportunity for me to reflect and be like, Hey, slow down, um, start focusing on things that um, matter instead of worrying about my next project or the grind that I'm in or the, uh, the challenge that I want to achieve. So I think uh, that was a, a huge thing for me that can, I can um, use some prayer for is just kind of my new grind and what that looks like and, and how I can still serve on a, in a leadership capacity with the uh, people at our school. So. Well, thanks for sharing. I know you guys have been doing Zoom or face meetings like this all week. And now, can I be praying for you in this season? And then the church will be praying for you throughout the week based off your prayer request. So can I, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I love these three a lot. I know them all. And I know how much they love their job, how much they love being in the school, how much they love teaching and educating and connecting. I think of Autumn and what a great environment she creates for her kids. And Kristen, how hard she works to help teach Spanish to those high school students and how much time and effort Brett puts into being a great uh, principal. And now everything's different for them. It's different in their schools. It's different in their homes. So God, I just pray for a ton of grace for all the things they brought up. The technology issues, the emotional grieving that must go on, especially since this happened in spring break where there was no real closure for this. And now Autumn's little kids are figuring out how to deal with this and she's figuring out how to deal with this. And Brett's dealing with all this. God, there's just so much. So we need your grace. God, I pray, I pray for these teachers that they would look back on this season and see your blessing and see your hand and see your work even through this season that nobody asked for, God. But we as a church, we love them. We love our teachers. We love our administrators. God, we love our schools. So be with our schools and our teachers and our students and our families in this unprecedented season. God, especially be with these three as they figure out this new normal. We love you. We know that you uh, 
are in control of all things and that you're always good. And a lot of times we can't make sense of it all, yet we trust you. So I pray also for the faith of these teachers that they would lean into you and not in their own understanding in this season, Lord. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, thanks for being here. Uh, you guys, we get to turn our attention now to the scriptures. Luke and Seth are going to unpack God's word for us this morning. So Redemption Gateway, let's look to God's word together now. Well, hey, everybody. I'm here now with Seth Trout. He's part of our teaching team, and we have the privilege of opening God's word together today as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we dive into that, Seth, you actually have a pretty significant opportunity for people uh, in our church and kind of on the edges of our church. Would you tell everyone about that? Yeah, we, we just recently created a new class that John Cronwald and I are going to lead. It's called Online Connect. Uh, we're offering it twice this week. One is this Sunday at 3 p.m., and the other time is Thursday night at 7 p.m. Uh, we've been really thinking and actually feeling more deeply than usual about a lot of people who are uh, maybe in our church and not connected into a community group, or um, or even some of you who might have found our church during this coronavirus season, and uh, just this, uh, the burden of loneliness that I think is on all of us, but especially those of you who aren't connected. Um, I was even just reading recently about the way that like the subjective state of loneliness uh, harms your immune system ability to function and fight off infections. And so not just for spiritual health, but also for physical health, it's important that we be connected um, and, and, and that we're able to be seen and known. And we can do that on these new things we're creating called online groups. And so it's a new thing for this season. Um, and the way that you get into an online group is by taking this online connect class. Uh, or maybe you're uh, not even sure if you want to get into an online group, but you just want to find out more about what Redemption Gateway is all about. In this online class, an opportunity for me and to connect with you. And you can also meet John Cronwald, our community's pastor. And it'll be a chance for us for, to answer, ask some questions and help you get plugged into our church. And again, there should be an opportunity to sign up for this. There's a link in the body of uh, however you're watching this, YouTube or Facebook. And you can sign up right now for um, online connect class, which is your first step in an online group, uh, Sunday at 3 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m., uh, I'd love to get to know you and help you navigate what it looks like to be part of our church. Awesome. Well, let's dive into God's Word here. Uh, let's start by uh, just reading it together. Um, we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, if uh, you want to follow along with us. Uh, Jesus here is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Our Father... No, that's not what he says. I do that every time. I start in the wrong place. How about I start in the right place? All right, verse 7. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is our third week of this series in the Lord's Prayer. And what we looked at a few weeks ago was that opening part of it where Jesus says we should pray our Father in heaven. And we pray mindful that we're in a family 
where God is our Father and God is ruling from heaven, and so he's who we trust in. Last week, we looked at the idea that we should begin by praying, hallowed be your name, that uh, we want God's name to be praised, we want it to be high and lifted up, that before we get to petitions, we actually start with praise. And now we get in more into the petitions, and this is still kind of a big picture petition that I think, at least for a lot of us, is easy to forget. It's easy to rush into provide my needs, forgive my sin, all that stuff. But still, before we get there, Jesus says we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what Seth and I want to do is just uh, really kind of have a conversation as we kind of talk through this passage and, and teach through it in a, in a more unconventional way mm-hmm. for us. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll have some, some fun with that even as we do. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just wanted to start by, by thinking about this. What does this phrase of Jesus assume? Mm. Yeah, what are the assumptions that are just built into this phrase? Yeah, so the, the first assumption is that the kingdom is, in a sense, not here, right? And it, which would be crazy Do you think that King Jesus is in the flesh with his people, and he's saying, pray that the kingdom would come. And you think that the kingdom comes with the king. So I'd imagine those disciples would kind of be going like, but you're here. (laughs) The kingdom's where you are. So why are we praying for this kingdom to come? And so, but there's this like firsthand admission that there is something lacking in the present state of things, that the present state of things are not the way they're supposed to be, that there's a better state coming, that things can be better, but they're presently not good. And so at first is like this admission that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Because there's a sense which a kingdom isn't here. So there is a kingdom of God. Yes. That's one assumption. Yeah. There is a will of God. There's things God would really like. And they're not here. They're not fully present, not fully realized. But yeah. could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are some of, some of the assumptions. I, I, I'd love to maybe talk too about what, when we hear the kingdom of God, that's actually a huge phrase. Yeah. Even in the book of Matthew, it's, it's mentioned 55 times in the book of Matthew. It's all through the four Gospels, and really all through the New Testament. Um, what would some of the assumptions be of the people who were hearing this? Right, They're hearing Jesus. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of his manifesto of the kingdom of God. Um, he's already talked about the kingdom in this passage, but, but, or in, in, this, in this book. But what would they have been hearing when they heard him talk about your kingdom come? Yeah, so first I want to just flip back just a little bit in Matthew, and the way that the book of Matthew opens up, Matthew 1.1, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so right at the beginning, Matthew's telling us that we're going to learn about the history of Jesus, the Christ, or Jesus, the Messiah, and how he's descended of David and the son of Abraham. And so when the people of God in this section are hearing about the kingdom of God, they're thinking about David's throne, that back in the Old Testament that God had established a kingdom and he told David, your throne will endure forever, um, but eventually there's going to be this this future ruler who comes and he's going to sit on the throne forever and it's not going to go away. And so there's almost this military assumption in some of that, that this king is going to come and overthrow enemies. And so the Jews at this point in time are an oppressed people. They're on the margins of society. And so maybe when Jesus comes and he's the Christ and he's, and he's going to be the son of David, the one who sits on David's throne, they might be assuming this military overthrow thing. So even from the very first sentence of the book of Matthew, yeah. the, the theme of kingdom 
is, is kind of echoing there. And even the first thing that Jesus is teaching, when Matthew says uh, in chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus begins his public ministry, he says, Jesus began to preach. And this is like Matthew summarizing everything Jesus says, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so one way to summarize everything Jesus says is repent, for the kingdom of God is close. The kingdom of God is near. And even just a couple of verses after that, in verse 23 of chapter 4, it says, Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus is not only proclaiming this kingdom, but he's actually giving people a taste of it. Yeah, right? he's, he's doing the things that only uh, God can do. Yeah. Hey, he's showing them what the kingdom is like. Yeah. It is it is a like a place where the sickness and affliction are, are going away and it's that, that preview, that foretaste, like the the ice cream sample before <laughs> the real thing that right. is uh, showing up in people's lives. It's interesting to me just that Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is going to come. Yeah. But he says it's at hand. Yeah. So it's here now. Mm-hmm. Um but then you get to Matthew six. Even, even in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Um, then you have this part where he says, pray that the kingdom would come. Yeah. So what in the world? I mean, the kingdom yeah. is here, but, but we need the kingdom to still come. So how do, how do we make sense of that? Yeah, it reminds me, so my wife really likes Disneyland. You know, so one of us really likes Disneyland. My wife does, you know. And not that there's anything wrong with Disneyland, you know, but... The you long, don't like Disneyland. The long Sucks. lines. Cheer up, man. <laughs> you know, you know. I mean. I'm sure that once my kids can experience Disneyland, I'll, uh, I'll uh, like it vicariously, you know. But, the, but there's like this sense when you're driving, you know, the uh, last year I surprised Taylor with a trip to Disneyland and just telling her, you know, get in the car, go to Disneyland. You know, first she didn't believe me, but immediately like the mood went up you know, she got excited, you know, uh, it's coming soon, you know, so there's like this, you get in the car and then there's that four hour stretch in the middle where you're going like, this is a really boring drive. But then you get to, you, you get into Southern California and you start to see Disneyland type things and you see, uh, you can, you know, the Disneyland this way. And so you get, you feel it coming closer. You see closer. the signs and you the see banners the signs and the streets. And, and, and you see little, like there's just like Disney themed stuff starts to pop up. And eventually as you get really close to the park, um, it starts to feel a lot like Disneyland, and there's like, but, and then you you park, and then you're walking through downtown Disney, which is not Disneyland, but it's it feels a lot like Disneyland, and but you're not actually in Disneyland until you go through the gates, um, and you might have already bought your ticket and you're getting in, um, but it starts to feel along the way, and that's somewhat how I think the kingdom of God is, is like right now we're kind of like in the parking lot at Disneyland, you know, like it starts to feel like Disneyland and, you know, there's a, there is a real hope, a real excitement, you know, um, but you're not really in the real thing yet. Yeah. It's really, you're really here. It's really looks like Disneyland, but you're not really in it. And I think that kind of helps me make sense of this already not yet thing of the kingdom of God is we get real tastes, but we're not really in it. Yeah. In that. Yeah. It makes me think of in Colossians, uh, the apostle Paul says that, that God has taken those who trust in Christ out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son where there's forgiveness and redemption of our sins. So there's a, a sense in which when we trust in Christ, we, we enter the kingdom. Um, we're part of the kingdom because Jesus said his kingdom's not of this world. And yet we at the same time know, okay, it's still coming, right? So that phrase you used of, of already but not yet. 
is that tension that we live in. Yeah, even talking to engaged couples, you know, who like, you know, this the whole like, hey, have you locked it up? It did you put a ring on it? You know, I mean, and I know engagements end, so it's not a perfect illustration, you know, yeah. but this, but there's a sense in which like they're committed to each other. Um, but they're not yet married. And even when I talk to people doing premarital counseling, like, there's a unique season that they get to feel like we're committed to each other and reserved for each other, but we're not yet married and yeah. just engaged but not consummated reality that I think engaged couples get to feel that tension uh, that is also a picture of the kingdom of God, the already, not yet. So we were talking about the assumptions that, that the people would have had, and you began kind of going down a line of militaristic kind of yeah. a thing. So how, how does Jesus... Um, just in his overall ministry, how does yeah. he both kind of fulfill their sense of what the kingdom of God was to be, and how does he also kind of adjust it and challenge yeah. it? Well, I think about it. a famous passage is when Jesus is being betrayed and Peter gets out his sword. Hmm. You know, um, that kind of reveals some of Peter's assumptions, like the kingdom's at hand, let's do this thing, the Romans are going down, and Jesus tells Peter to put away your sword, my kingdom is not of this world. And I think a lot of times we hear that and we think that that means the kingdom is like on a different world mm. or that it's somewhere else. And we think that that is speaking to geography or location. But what he's talking about is the way in which it exists and the way in which it's established. That Jesus' kingdom is not established through the sword, but it's established through sacrificial love and self-sacrificial love. It doesn't mean the kingdom can't be on this world yeah. and in this world. Yeah. It's just saying the, the values that drive it yeah. and, and what... The basis of it is totally different. Yeah, yeah. Whereas kingdoms of this world are okay with establishing their authority through force, uh, a kingdom that's not does not operate according to this world's assumptions and principles is established through sacrificial love, ultimately the self-sacrificial love of the Son. And so I think that it's not the kingdom is not this world. It's not. It's somewhere else. But it's here operating by different means and with a different way. And with love is the preeminent value. And um, the self-sacrificial way of existing is a preeminent value rather than force in, in the sword. And so even Jesus' closest disciples had bad assumptions after being with him for years. Peter whips his sword out like, here we go, here comes the kingdom. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Yeah. And he allows himself to be crucified. And I think... Um, That's even a temptation yeah. now. Yeah. Is mm -hmm. that we might think that the kingdom of God would come through um, other means, but yeah. it, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, like earthly political takeover is not going to establish the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah. yeah so that's one way it really challenges it. Uh, I think the second way that it, it the, probably the main way that it is similar is the kingdom of God is all about God's presence. Right, especially if you read in the Old Testament that when the kingdom comes, the spirit is going to pour out on all flesh. And that's the way in which this, like we do get to experience the kingdom now is that the spirit has come, that we have fellowship with the triune God by means of the spirit, that he does lead us and heal our hearts and win people over to himself. He is convicting the world concerning sin. And so um, that's one way in which their assumption was just true, right? The spirit did come, yeah. um, did pour out on flesh. He is making us new and building us a people. Um, and so the kingdom of God is ultimately about the presence of God. I'll be with you. You'll, you'll be my people. I'll be your God. And that is a reality that we get to experience now, uh, though again, not fully. Yeah. Well, in, in Luke, Jesus is actually asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And he says this, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Yeah. And uh, that's not Jesus saying that every person is some just inhabitant of the kingdom of God, but that when, where Jesus is, there the kingdom is. And now we have Christ by the spirit of Christ who is given to us, who have faith in Christ. And so 
the kingdom of God is among us. And yet, here we are being instructed by Jesus, pray that God's kingdom would come even more fully. Then he moves to that phrase, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think if we're studying the scripture well, we'd have to ask, is that just two ways of saying the same thing? Is, is your kingdom come and your will be done just synonymous? Or is there, um, maybe what ways is it similar? And what ways is Jesus actually drawing our attention to a, a distinction that's important? Yeah, well, one way I think, I mean, this happens all the time in Christian circles, you know. Does God's will always happen? Yes or no. <laughs> and it feels like a trap, right? Because right? there is one sense, like in in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes this. I'll just read this text real quick. Paul says um, that he works all things. So in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That God is the storyteller, he's the author, that there's not one maverick molecule, that all things are happening under his sovereign control. And so even when things seem like they're terrible, which they might in fact be, we know that somehow they're playing a role in God's sovereign story. And so in that sense, um, what theologians call like his will of decree or his secret will, his will always happens. In other sense, you know, when people say his God's will always done, Paul says it is God's will that that you be sexually uh, pure. Yeah, that doesn't not, happen. No, yeah, yeah. So, right. not even close. I mean, in that sense, not. Yeah, or not, or he says, "Give thanks in all circumstances, for yeah. this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." Yeah, that are God's happen. people always sexually pure and full of gratitude? You know, probably not a single person goes a day by when there's not that reality. And so that could be called, in theological terms, his prescriptive will or his moral will, and that is his desire for his people that they would be holy and committed to his righteousness and justice and purposes. And so I think that Jesus has both of those things in mind here. Your will be done. It's both this submission to his will of decree, his secret will, that, he, that it's this going, he is working all things according to his will, and I want to um, be on board with how God is running the universe. But it's also this call for moral purity that the church would be committed to God's design and God's way and his instruction. And rather than me doing my will, me, I, I want to do God's will. Um, and that's not necessarily just in terms of like what career do I pick. I think that's kind of an unhelpful way of thinking about it. But in terms of um, my own purity, my own dis- my commitment to justice and righteousness, that I want to do God's will. And yeah, I th- it's, it's interesting yeah. when you say that because I think about how easy it is for people to say, I want the world to be better. I want things to be different. I yeah. want the pain to go away. I want uh, COVID-19 to disappear and have everyone healed from it. I want this macro level. But when, when it, it comes to God's will for me to be conformed in the image of Jesus and to say no to desires that are yeah. out of line with his and, and maybe not all that pleasurable for me in the short run, yeah. that's harder, right? It makes me yeah. think of St. Augustine who, who before he was converted said you know god make me pure just not yet <laughs> yeah yeah and this, that's a very different prayer from this which is saying uh, much more like jesus prays in the garden later uh, not my will but your will be done yeah yeah submitting to that yeah and i think those those two words are key your kingdom come your will be done as in not my kingdom not my will and i think part of what even my own anger and sadness and frustration in some of these seasons is I'm experiencing the death of my kingdom and the death of my will because what I want is not happening. 
Yeah. So I'm mad. And, and the kingdom that I've been building, it's reorganized. And, and I think this is actually Jesus is driving to this warning that when we build our own kingdoms and our own values and we do our own will, that he talks about this at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount. And I would argue that this is actually like the thrust of the Sermon on the Mount and the thing that he's building to is, he says this in chapter seven, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Hmm. That when I do, my kingdom come, my will be done, I am building my house on the sand. And I'm trusting in things that cannot be ultimately trusted in. And I feel like some of it in my own heart, just realizing that this kind of coronavirus stuff, I'm going like recognizing the ways in which I've partially built my house on the sand. And some of this is like revealing that in my own heart. And it's kind of, it's ugly. Yeah. And I'm having to like deal with that. Uh, but when I built, when I actually ordered my life, yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm building my house on the rock. And that's not to say we don't experience loss and difficulty, right. but it's that, you know, Christ is the rock that doesn't change. Yeah. The stock market is sand. Yeah, and, it, and it's fascinating even there because Jesus isn't saying that there's a way to avoid the floods and the winds yeah, and good. the rain, yeah. but that it's coming, yeah. right? Storms Everyone's going to experience yeah. it. And the question is, what will you be able to stand on? Yeah. And those storms will reveal the strength of what you stand on, right? Like we said last week, everyone will hallow some name. Yeah. Um, but what do you build, build your life on? Yeah, makes me think something my dad would always say, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed, I'm not surprised. <laughs> you know? And then I feel like that's true of this. Like yeah. when, when the world just is in disarray, um, Jesus is saying like, I told you the floods were going to come, I told you the rain was going to fall, I told you the winds were going to blow. So you can't really be surprised. Yeah. Um, we can be disappointed, but this shouldn't shock us. Oh, you mean bad things happen? <laughs> you know, right. what do you mean bad things happen? You yeah. know, uh, and... I think part of what Jesus is saying here is we need to build our house on the rock and when the winds come, these, these type of seasons come, it reveals to us the sandy foundations of our lives. Yeah, and so I'm struck by how when you look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole in which the Lord's Prayer is in, there's this passive dynamic to this request mm-hmm. and an active dynamic, right? So the yeah. passive dynamic is to say, Lord, would you bring the kingdom? I don't have the kingdom. It's not mine to bring. Mm-hmm. It's not mine to create. It's not mine to um, manifest. It's yours. Would you bring it? And, and also, uh, just a number of verses later, Jesus is going to talk about how we shouldn't be consumed with what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and how are we going to take care of ourselves, which is a very normal thing to be anxious about and to be concerned about. A lot of people are understandably feeling concerned about those things. Jesus says in verse 33 of chapter 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, focus on what you're going to build your house on and have it be my righteousness, my kingdom, and, and I'll take care of you. Um, as you as you depend on me, so so the, there's the passive part of God. God, bring this kingdom that I can't bring, and then the active part of saying, God, I want to seek this kingdom. Yeah. So, what would it look like for us to be in this season, in this moment, where we realize that the kingdoms we've lived for are crumbling? What would it instead look like to seek God's kingdom in this moment? Yeah. 
I think this last phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, you know, it feels so generic and up there that, again, going back to, I know that in the kingdom of God, there's no coronavirus, you know, so it's easy to think in general terms. But one of the things actually um, at Redemption Tucson, they made these shirts, I think one of the elders made, and it says, in Tucson it is in heaven, which, you know, I first saw and thought like, that's not going to happen. You know, but, <laughs> but, the, but, just, but when I, I actually bought one of the shirts because I loved the, like, the imaginative question that it creates, yeah. right? What, I think if we, so take away earth and get more specific, you know, my street is called Racine. I live on Racine, you know, on, on Racine as it is in heaven. What about at Redemption Gateway as it is in heaven? What about in Queen Creek as it is in heaven? And, and I feel like when we, when you start to get more particular um, and ask the questions about what would it look like in my house as it is in heaven, in, with my neighbors as it is in heaven, and we begin to take initiative and ask that question and like kind of make it less general, make it more particular. Um, then I start to prayerfully ask questions about things I can actually do something about. You know, where proximity really, really matters. And so that's, I think, asking that question, you know, um, on racing is in heaven, helps me begin to think through, oh, I can witness the kingdom in my actions and deeds on my street. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, this season is so revealing of what do we really want? Yeah. Like it makes me think of all the times when Jesus encounters people and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. And, um, and, and what's so striking is we think about this prayer and as we think about the, the seeking of the kingdom and really as we look ahead to the promise that the kingdom of God will fully come when Christ returns. I'm just so struck by um, in this moment we're all kind of looking for a kingdom to come and it's called back to normal. Yeah. Right, like that's that's the thing that we're all wondering. When will it be back to normal? Will it be April thirtieth? Will it be May first? Yeah. Yeah. Will it be in May? Will it be in June? When yeah. will back to normal be? And there's this sense in which we've all begun to set our hope on back to normal, and we forget that back to normal was pretty lousy. Yeah. Like it was still filled with anxiety and depression. It was still filled with domestic abuse. It was still filled with sexual sin it was still filled with greed and complaining it was still filled with all of that stuff and i'm just so struck by how we all and and myself included we have this like oh i've got i'm longing for back to normal and and no one knows the hour or the day in which that is going to happen and in the same way jesus said no one knows the hour or the day of his return and i almost never have that level of angst yeah for when is Jesus going to come back? Yeah. When is Jesus going to return? When yeah. will the kingdom fully come? And so th- one of the things this has just revealed for me is um, my hope is too bound up in mm. yeah. the comfort of this life and the norms of what normal was. Yeah. And this is, this is calling me, and I think this is calling us, to set our hopes in a whole new way. On the kingdom yeah, because yeah, I think the Bible teaches things have not been normal since Genesis 3. That sin has been decimating this place and we have been a far cry from Eden. We've been so far away from heaven and this, if anything, is sobering. And so I love that, like, harnessing that angst for I just want to have people over for dinner (laughs) to to this, like, uh, when Christ says, you know, I won't partake of this meal again until the new creation. And there's almost this, like, there will be a time when we eat with Christ in the flesh. Right. You know, and that's way better than having your small group over for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, but that that grabbing hold of that desire 
and trying to aim it towards the return of Christ because I, I agree with you. I certainly don't spend time aching for Jesus to come back yeah. except for like at funerals right. and divorce hearings. And you know, like there's, there's certain places where I'm like, man, this thing this is the worst. You know? Well, it's this phrase in this prayer that is the lament. Yeah. Right? It's saying things are not the way they should be. Yeah. And so God, would you make them the way they should be? The challenge is whenever God's kingdom comes, it displaces other kingdoms. Yes. Yeah. Right? So, so to pray for his kingdom to come is also to pray for the kingdoms of this world to be torn down. Yeah. So it's, it's both a lament and it's a, you know, the fancy word would be imprecatory yeah. prayer where, where you're praying for judgment against yeah. God's enemies. And that's what this is. And I think right now we're in this, in this moment where we're all feeling the grief. This, this week... Um, for me, and I think for a lot of people, this was the week that it hit. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, this thing's really serious, and it's going to be a long time before normal happens. And that just really, really stinks. And we should always be people, actually, who are lamenting that things aren't the way that they should be and praying that the kingdom of would come, which is why I'm so excited to be able to look ahead even to next week with Easter. Yeah. Where... Yeah it is this celebration that the kingdom has come and that we have hope that Christ will return because he rose from the dead. Yeah. That, I think being a Christian, I hear people say like, man, without my faith, I, could know how, I don't know how I could have gotten through that, you know? But I think sometimes faith makes things harder, hmm. right? Because there's a real sense of the way things ought to be and things aren't that way. And so I think grief goes up. But there's also a sense in which there's real hope that Jesus will come back that he has conquered the grave, that he will return and wipe. And so there's real grief and there's real hope and it makes this kind of complicated emotional reality that I think it takes a lot of energy to stay engaged in. It's much easier to just kind of disconnect and numb out. I went into Costco the other day and right front and center when you walk in, it just stacks of the vodka because I'm thinking like, this is what people need most in this season. They need to numb out because this emotions are too hard, you know, and, and uh, it just made me sad because it is, it, it, we want to, disengage we want to escape we want to withdraw um, but i think that real grief and that real hope is what god is calling us to yeah and that's the hope that we are going to celebrate next week so i think that's a good place to leave this conversation uh, let's pray let me pray for us and then we're going to actually sing uh, the lord's prayer and uh and ask uh, god to bring his kingdom and remind ourselves that he's strong so let's pray together father in heaven uh, we pray to you that you are our father that you are in heaven, that you are strong and that you are mighty, that you are high and lifted up. And so we praise you and we ask God that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we ask that our hearts would be aligned with yours, that we would build our lives not on the shifting sand of any other kingdom, but on the solid rock of Christ. God, we want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We want to long for the day when you will come and make all things new. God, we thank you that we do have a real hope in this moment, that we don't just have wishful thinking, but we have real hope because of Christ and his resurrection from the, from the dead, and, and we look forward to celebrating that together very soon. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.